If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Um, I want to say a quick word to... Um, if you haven't, haven't noticed, we've gotten rid of some of the social distancing things around the auditorium. We have our numbers, etc. necessitate we do that. But also, COVID, at least in Iowa, is, is decreasing to an extent. We're glad for that. Um, we do, so we're kind of in this awkward stage. We understand this kind of, of uh, different things. So different ways of accommodating the situation. So back in the, uh, you see the, there's glass windows back there. If We've designated that space as kind of a mask-only space for those of, you, those of, of us who um, maybe aren't, aren't vaccinated yet and still want to wear masks and want to be safe that way. And we're kind of in this awkward stage where, um, where uh, some people have been vaccinated, don't need to wear masks. Some people uh, feel the need to wear masks still, etc. So our, my encouragement to you overall is just to, uh, if you're... If you're fine not wearing a mask, just stick a mask in your pocket. You know, you probably have to do that anyway for life normally. And uh, if you see someone in church that is masked, before you approach them, maybe either ask them, do you want me to mask up or, uh, or just mask up before you talk to them, just to create a little bit of uh, that sense of uh, safety, etc. for those who are still concerned about that for various reasons. And so I want to just encourage you to love one another in that way. Um, and for those of you who are online who aren't back yet, we, we have, um, our congregation's done a good job of, of loving one another in that way when we need to, and I appreciate that. Um, you can be in prayer for some of our missionaries. I've been talking to a couple of them, like for instance, Heidi Davis in Bangladesh. Uh, she's, um, she's in quarantine in herself right now because the, the numbers are so, so high in Bangladesh, she's had to isolate in her home. And uh, also John Boyd in, in, in uh in Santa Marta, Colombia, it's kind of the same scenario where they're, they're pretty much in lockdown there as well. So we can be grateful for um, what we've, we have in our country right now, at least um, be praying for our missionaries as well and seek to love one another during this process. Um, we're in Acts chapter 2 and we're looking at remembering the church, remembering the church. And I gotta, I just shut off my thing rather than turn it on. There we go. Sorry, I gotta... Okay, there we go. Um, Acts chapter 2, remembering the church. And uh, when you get into this, the just uh, we've been looking at how we've been called as a body of believers, right? Called, that God has reached out into our world and called us to himself, out of darkness into light, to, out of death into life. And he, is, he has a purpose in doing that to make us his people and to, to in a sense, involve us in his work of redeeming uh, those who are trapped in sin and death and deliver them to life. And we're also called, we're not only called, we're a community. We're brought together as a people of God, seeking to look love one another, seeking to, to show forgiveness and, and, and love to one another. Uh, and in that process, then we're also commissioned. God has given us a mission to make disciples, and we're a part of this work that he has called out to make out a people out of every tribe and tongue and nation, a people that are his, that declare his praise. And so as we think about that, we're talking this morning about being committed, committed as a church. And the idea is, is like, um, you remember the story maybe of, of Elijah, right? He was, uh, Elisha, I should say. He's confronting Ahab, the king of Israel, for his worship of Baal. 
and, and uh, his encouragement of that, along with his wife Jezebel, right? They were, they were uh, uh, just encouraged that worship. They'd gone that way, and uh, it, it seemed like there weren't that many people in Israel who were worshiping God. And so Elisha initiates this confrontation. He's like, okay, hey, uh, let's gather all the, the, the priests of Baal, and I'll represent Jehovah, and we'll see who's really God. And Ahab agrees to that. They gather all the priests, they gather the people, and Elisha says to the people, why do you go limping between two opinions? He's like, you're not committing. If, if God is God, then follow him. And if Baal is God, then follow him. And he's like, you got to choose, you got to commit which one it is. And then there's this dramatic, right, uh, day where the, the prophets of Baal uh, set up their sacrifice to God and, and their God is supposed to send fire from heaven to eat up the sacrifice and they, they worship all day long and eventually they start cutting themselves and Elisha's mocking them like maybe your God's asleep or maybe he's gone to the restroom or maybe, maybe he's, just, he's, just, he's just not, you know, you gotta go louder, you gotta, and they do everything they can and nothing happens. So at the end of the day, toward the evening, Elisha's like, okay, it's my turn now. And they, uh, he just simply prays to God, saying, God, show yourself that you're God. And fire falls from heaven, eats up the sacrifice, and it's clear who's God. And they, at least temporarily, stop limping between two opinions they commit. In our world today, sometimes it is difficult to commit, right? We want the freedom to not have to commit. We, we want freedom from responsibility, right, sometimes, or freedom from the ability to, to get what we want, uh, or not to, to, get, to get tied down too much. We want, we have, we want freedom from uh, too many responsibilities, too much busyness, too many things that we don't like to do. The problem sometimes with freedom from is it keeps us from freedom too. That is, when you commit to something, you actually have freedom in that area to do some things. You have freedom to love someone. You have freedom to serve someone. You have freedom to, to help someone. And it doesn't feel like enslavement. It feels like freedom. Because when you're actually committed to someone or something, it actually is very freeing. And the question is, you think about it, is, is like, who gets to decide how this works? Who gets to decide what you get to commit to and what you don't? How does that work? Vince Lombardi most put it, uh, put it this way once. He says, most people fail not because of a lack of desire, but because of lack of commitment. And at the same time, I, I, I want to put this in, in perspective here. There's, in some ways, there's two ditches on this road of commitment. Two ditches. One is that you never commit to anything, right? You're always like, well, maybe I'll give you part of myself or I'll give you part of my time or I'll give you part of my effort and you don't commit. The other ditch is where you commit and you give more of yourself than you should. You give more, it's more about success and, and you're, you're, you're putting yourself into, you're committing yourself in order to get something out of it for you. I was raised in a generation, in a sense, where we were taught to commit like this. 
Commit all the way, give everything you have, and hopefully you'll succeed. In fact, someone anonymously put it this way, decide, commit, succeed, all right? Decide, commit, succeed. And it is true that when you commit to something, it, it makes it go well. But there is a side of it that when you, if you give of yourself too much, you're in trouble. And so we have these two ditches here that you, that you have to kind of work through. Uh, my kids and other kids that go to Gilbert High School, uh, they're in the... the uh, they saw, we couldn't do a spring play, right, because of everything that's, that's happening. And, um, but they, they did a kind of a monologue online play, and they kind of released that this weekend, and you could watch it. It was hilarious. There's, there's a lot of funny, funny things throughout it. And one of the, one of the characters in, 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 this, in the sketches, so to speak, talks about being committed to herself. She's like, I'm committed to the church of me, you know what I mean? That I would get what, what I want out of, out of my life. Um, and, and so th- that, that ditch over here that's the church of me says, in a sense, I'm going to commit to what makes me happy, to what's, what's good for me, and I'm going to give all of myself to that. Biblically speaking, just saying, biblically speaking, we are not our own source of happiness. It's not that you don't have to know what makes you happy. You do. But we are not our own source of happiness. And so when we talk about committing to something and the freedom from versus the freedom to, you do have to commit. You do have to say there's something that's outside of myself that's worth committing to that actually gives me joy. Again, when we're talking theologically, the, 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 the theological phrase is being made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God, which means, among other things, that we're made to reflect God's rule in our lives. We're made to reflect God's rule in our lives. That means that we, we can't rule anything. God never made us to rule alone. He made us to reflect His rule. So when we try to rule ourselves, other people, etc., when we try to say, I'm in charge, I know what's best, we, instead of ruling, we get ruled. Have you ever been there? Maybe in regards to sports, you're like, we're going to rule. No, I'm going to rule. I'm going to be part of the varsity team. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to rule. And instead of you ruling that sport, you get ruled by it. The coach asks you to have practice for three hours every day, and you, you, and you give even more than that. You're like, I'm, and you, all of a sudden you realize you have no life outside of that sport. You're like, well, that's not what I wanted. No, but you got ruled. <laughs> or maybe it's a relationship. You're like, I've got to have this person in my life, and they don't treat you a certain way, they don't treat you the way you expect, they don't, they don't, and you're, instead of you ruling in that relationship, you get ruled by them. Maybe it's substance abuse. You're like, I'm going to use this substance to make me feel better, to make me happy, to make me feel okay with my life, but then you end up having it rule you, and you can't not use it. You see, 
That's what it means to be made in the image of God is that we're, we don't rule ourselves. We reflect something else ruling in our lives. And that's either God or something else. And so as we look this morning at commitment in the church, I'm trying to avoid both ditches here. I'm trying to avoid the ditch that says never commit to anything and the ditch that says overcommit, give everything. And it's going to seem weird because at the same time you're going to see Jesus say, give everything. But he's saying it in a certain context. And I want you to see that context and how it works. So my goal this morning is that to, to help us understand that commitment to God and the church means giving ourselves fully to Christ, but that means not seeking to control him, but trusting that his plans and ways are best. So let's look at point number one, commitment to the holiness of Christ. Commitment to the holiness of Christ. And again, notice how the church commits to that here in Acts chapter 2, okay? So in Acts chapter 2, the, the Pentecost happens, the, the Holy Spirit comes down, the, the, the apostles start to preach about the gospel, and they're telling about, the, in a sense, the holiness of Christ. And the people respond to that. Notice again verse 40, which Chris already read. He says, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. So this, this community that basically starts at Pentecost just gets burst with 3,000 people in it who have trusted in Christ. They, they recognize who Christ is to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So here's this church, their, their, their community, they're called out, they're commissioned to make disciples, and they're committed to each other, they're committed to the apostles' doctrine, they're committed to prayer, they're doing these things together, but it's all based on the holiness of Christ. So in our, in our eagerness to be active for God, we need to remember that it's based on the holiness of Christ. And I ran across this story about Martin Buber. He was a, a Jewish professor of philosophy um, before World War II. And he, 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 was, he was a Hasidic Jew, and Hasidic Jews are about their, their emotional and uh, mystical experience in their faith. They're, they're about the experience, and they, they focus on those experiences. They're, they're devoted to those experiences. You could say they're very committed to those experiences. And so Martin Buber was, uh, had a young man, uh, probably in college, come and visit him one day, and he thought that he had, in a sense, uh, you know, connected with the kid, shared something with him of his experience in God, etc. And then it turned out he found out later that the young man left him and then went and committed suicide. And that rocked his world. He's like, how is it possible that, that, that I could be talking about these amazing things and yet not help this young man out? And he stepped back from his focus on his experience and, and started to think about the, what, 
what happened and why it happened. And he realized, I, I was so focused on me and my experience that I didn't really listen to him. I didn't focus on him. I wasn't present to him as another person who was different from me. And he, he wrote a whole book called I and Thou. It's, it's in, in German, so I don't speak German, so it's a different title than that, but you understand. Versus I and it. And so he, he thought this through. He's like, a lot of times people approach life from an I-it perspective. That is, that we go through life, and there are not other people in our life. There are other people in our life, but we don't treat them really as other people. We treat them as objects in our lives for our good, for our purposes. So we go through life, and we think, oh, you know, I'm on a soccer team. I've got other teammates. They're there to make me successful, and I'm there you know, to, to, to be successful as a soccer player. And so you go, you're part of the team, but it's not uh, 11 or, or 15 or 18 other individuals on the team that you're, you're concerned about as individuals. You're just saying, you're all part in, in my story, right? Or we approach other, other people in our lives and we're like, well, you're all coworkers. You're just coworkers. You're not people in my life. You don't have valid concerns or issues, as long as you just behave and do what you're supposed to do and play your role in my life, then I'm happy, right? And he says that's like an I-it relationship because it objectifies people, and rather than treating them as real people that are different from you, it treats them as objects in your life. And it, you say, well, that's just a Jewish philosopher. I get that. And it's true. You shouldn't just accept it because it's Jewish philosophy. But it's also how the Bible treats both God and us. And that's really what, when you talk about the holiness of God, this is what we're talking about. It. We're saying there's something other than us that's wholly different from us. We're limited. He's infinite. We're, we're fine. We have limited power. He has omnipotent power. We have limited knowledge. He has all knowledge. He's totally different from us. We're physical. He's not. Even though he's totally different from us, he's worth paying attention to. He's worth honoring. He's worth listening to. He's worth submitting to. He's worth valuing as supremely important. And so when we talk about the holiness of God, we're not just talking about the performance of God, that God does everything we're, we're talking primarily about the fact that he's other than us. He's different from us. He's greater than us. And you add, you add in the concept that he's more valuable. He's worth more. That's why Proverbs, in, in Proverbs 1 verse 7, when it talks about wisdom, it says wisdom is based on, the foundation of wisdom is a fear of the Lord. It's the same concept here, right? It's saying you want to approach life, you want to have wisdom in your life, then you treat God as other than you. <laughs> you treat God as separate from you, as not controllable by you, as not manipulated by you as not imagined by you, as something different, 
So Paul, in trying to explain this to the Greek philosophers, right, in Acts 17, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, being Lord of heaven and earth. Nor is he suffer, served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all man life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Can, can you see how he's describing the holiness of God there, right? He's saying, this God is not made with hands, nor does he need us to feed him food, nor does he need us to give him a place of residence because he owns it all and he is above it all. In Colossians, Paul puts it this way about Christ. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on heaven or in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. What is he saying? They're saying Christ is greater and different from us. We were created. He was not. He rules. We submit to his rule. He is before all things. He holds us together. We don't hold things together. These are the things that are true about Christ. And when we commit to the holiness of Christ, one of the things that we're committing to is we're saying, he is greater than us. And yet at the same time, we're also saying that he made us as people. He values us as people because the, the, the beautiful thing about it, kind of that I-thou relationship in a sense is that saying, you're saying both individuals are valuable. Think about the people in your life. Do you know how they're different from you? Do you know what they think about things? Do you, do you listen to them? Do you, do you, are you concerned about what they think about? Do, do, you, do you spend time just getting to know them? I mean, hopefully COVID was a blessing in that way, right? At least for families, I know in our family, we had the blessing of getting to know one another better, right? Just because you had to spend time together. But you can go through life even as families and never value people as different from you. Only valuing people as the same as you. And what you miss in the process, right? This is, again, this focuses on the value of the holiness of God. If you miss in the process, if, all, if you're only focused on how they're similar to you, you miss the beauty of the difference. You miss the, the wonder of the difference. And one of the reasons God made us so different from him, right? He could have made us more like him, right? We could have been angels. 
not limited by physical bodies. We could have lived forever. He made us like this so that we would marvel and, and grasp the wonder of who he is better. And we could delight in that difference. And that difference also means that we value that, right? Jesus puts it this way. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, you have to wrap your mind around it, right? Luke chapter 14, verse 25 says, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him. So Jesus is, at this point in his ministry, very popular. He's got thousands of people following him on a daily basis. And he, and he says, And he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Like, whoa, wait a second here, Jesus. You're really popular. This isn't a great message to send that people need to leave their families and even hate their families. And Jesus isn't saying hate your family because he goes on to say love your brothers and sisters, right? But what he's saying is, is who's greater? Who's greater? How long are you going to halt between two opinions? Who's the greatest? And until you understand who's the greatest, then it's hard to commit to anything else. You get that, right? Once you establish that Christ is holy, that he is who he says he is, that he is the, the God-man in the flesh, through him all everything is created, and he is reconciling everyone to God through himself, until you understand that you're going to halt between two opinions. Well, maybe, maybe this person over here is really valuable to me, or maybe this person over here is really valuable to me, and I need to keep that person in my life. And he's saying, no, make me supreme. <laughs> That's a hard call. But Jesus is saying you've got to commit. But when you commit, then he says, now go and love your wife and love your kids and serve them, and sacrifice for them, and give yourself to them. But you can't do it unless you understand who's greatest. Otherwise, you're not going to be ruled properly. Psalm 37, 4, 4 puts it this way, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Focus on him. Say, this is my delight. This is what I focus on. And then God takes care of your heart. You see, Here's the, just knowing my own heart, my own walk with God over the years, sometimes I've, I've hesitated to commit. I'm like, Christ isn't that great, you know? I'm going to hold on to something over here. Sometimes I've committed too much. I've been more like, I, I've got to prove how great of a Christian I am, or I've got to prove that, that I'm successful as a Christian, and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and, and Jesus is saying, no, don't do that. I got that covered. I'm, I'm in charge of that. It's okay. Just do what I'm asking you to do. And I'm like, no, no, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm going to do all of this because even though you're not asking me to do it, I, I've got to, I, I got to feel like I'm successful. I got to feel like I'm okay. And both don't recognize the holiness of Christ like they should. The greatness of Christ like they should. Because one is saying, Christ isn't great enough. The other is saying, I'm great too. <laughs> and I'm going to have the church of me <laughs> as well as the church of Christ. And I'm going to prove it. 
So not only do we commit ourselves to the whole, you can't, my, my point here at the beginning is, unless you commit yourself to the holiness of Christ first, all the other commitments are going to be challenges. All the other commitments are going to be challenges because we are called to commit ourselves not just to love God but to love others. And that's our second point, committed to the fellowship of love, committed to the fellowship of love. Notice Acts chapter 2 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So the fellowship there is they're saying, hey, we're going sh- to, word there in Greek is the idea of sharing. Koinonia is the Greek word. It means to share all things, to share things, okay? And so he's saying here, they, they, they fellowship together, they, they eat together, they break bread. It goes on and says, and they, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, what they mean by that is not that it was a communal community, okay, where they just you know, sold all they had, and they put it into one common pot, and then they kind of divided it up. That's not actually what is meant. We understand that because later in Acts chapter 5, it talks about Ananias and Sapphira and Barnabas, and how they sold possessions when they saw a need, okay? The, the point is, is that they're viewing their possessions as, and their resources as opportunities to bless those in need, rather than holding on to them as their own. They're, they're viewing it as shared, not shared in the sense that, hey, anybody can use it whenever, but shared in the sense of it's available to meet a need. You see that uh, a little more clearly as he says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, right? So it's not just all the time, but, but when they saw needs, they took of their possessions and helped out. They were committed to that fellowship of love, to sharing. When you love someone, you share with them, right? And, and usually, frankly, it's a two-way street, typically. You both give and you also receive because none of us are self-sufficient. Again, that goes back to the holiness of God. He's the self-sufficient one. The rest of us aren't, right? But God has put us next to one another and with one another so that we can share and meet needs as we see them. In Hebrews chapter 13, it puts it this way, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. He's saying here there's, there's boundaries and limits to the sharing, but share what you have. Share in order to give and receive together. If you're committed to the holiness of Christ, you're also committed to the fellowship of love. You're saying Christ has given me so many wonderful things. I, I want to share that with those around me, and I'm also willing to receive from those around me. Again, I, I tend to fall on the side of uh, I've got I've to give and never receive. Uh, I've got to be self-sufficient, and then I, it's harder for me to, to receive. Part of it's pride, I think, right? I don't want to look like I need something when 
in fact, God has created me to need things, you know. That was also kind of the, the fun thing with COVID, right? We, we both realized we shouldn't be around people, and yet we also realized we needed people in our lives. Like, how am I supposed to work this out? Because I need people. <laughs> and I need their encouragement. I need their help. I need their love. I need their presence. We, we need people in our lives. So, so if you have a need, you, you receive the need, you receive it when it's given to you, right? When someone comes in and is like, hey, I'd like to spend a day with you. Awesome. That's great. Let's, let's hang out, you know? Or if you know somebody who is in need of the same thing, hey, let's hang out because I know you are, need some encouragement. There's that mutual giving and receiving. And to, again, it goes back to that, to that sense of I versus thou. You're not saying, hey, you're just like me. What you're feeling right now is what I'm feeling. <laughs> or or uh, you're not trying to treat someone as exactly like you. You're saying you're different from me. How are you different? What needs do you have? I'm going to seek to meet those needs and I'm different from you. Yeah, here's some of the needs I have. And frankly, that's, there's a vulnerability there, right? That's, that's challenging. People, when they're not in community well, struggle to say, I need something. They do. Because if I say I need something and someone else then says, well, sorry, then it sends the message that I'm not loved. It sends the message that I'm not cared for, that I'm not valued. And I don't want to hear that message. And so I'm going to avoid any situation where I could receive that message. And so I stop saying I need things when, in fact, you do need things. Married couples, this is crucial for you, right? You're in close community together, that fellowship, that sharing. If you stop saying to one another, I need this, you know what? You're in trouble. There's no sharing that's happening anymore. You have to be willing to be vulnerable and say, I need this. Now, just because, you know, just because you say, well, I need this, they must give it to me. No, there's, there's this give and take thing, right, that should take place. But are you giving and are you receiving? And that, that matters not just in marriage, it matters in the church. When's the last, some, last time you shared something with someone in the church? You're like, I see that need and I'm going to start to meet that need. When's the last time you said, I have a need and you made yourself vulnerable and see, saw who responded? It, but you commit to that. Why? Because we have received from Christ. We've, we've made part of this fellowship, and the, the, the believers in, in Jerusalem at the time committed themselves. It says they devoted themselves to this, to seeing needs and taking care of them. They also committed themselves to the authority of Scripture. Authority of Scripture says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And this just goes to the fact that without an authority outside of ourselves, we end up with a Christ that is not other than ourselves, okay? I'll say it again. When we, with an, without an authority outside of ourselves, we end up with a Christ that is not other than ourselves. That is, we make, remake Christ in our own image. We say, and here's, 
we say to ourselves, well, my God wouldn't do this. <laughs> my God wouldn't do that. You might want to take a step back from that segment and analyze that for a second, right? Because when you're saying my God, what are you saying? You're saying the God that I have in my head, <laughs> the God that is made in my image. And that's why we believe in the authority of Scripture, that Scripture is our sole and sufficient rule of faith and practice. We cannot make up God in our heads. We cannot make up a God in our image. We have to submit to this authority so that we get a Christ that is outside of ourselves, that is holy, that is different from ourselves. Second Timothy puts it this way, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. This is sufficient to teach you how to love your brothers and love your sisters and receive from your brothers and receive from your sisters in such a way that you are fellowshipping not just with God but with one another. And that's why, as a church overall, some things we focus on, right? We focus on worshiping Christ based on Scripture, the songs that Jed chooses, are carefully thought through to focus on our attention, the, the, the passages that are preached. We primarily preach expositional passages of Scripture, right, where we take Scripture and work through sections of Scripture at a time. Why? Because we don't want to make up a God in our own image. That's balanced. I'm just going to put a balance in here really quick about the commitment to the authority of Scripture. That's also balanced by individual soul liberty. This kind of goes back to historical uh, issues we've had uh, in Christendom overall. But Baptists, Baptists uh, were a group of believers that came out of uh, primarily Lutheran or, or uh, uh, churches that were coming out of the Catholic Church, but they were retaining this hierarchy, this, this authority that, that, that was, was above, like certain men were above other men. And the Baptists were like, well, what if I believe differently than you? And they're like, well, if you believe differently than us, then you're out. And they're like, well, uh, man, but I just read Scripture, and I think this is what it says, and I need to do it. And the term individual soul liberty came into play during that time. And as Baptists, we believe that. Romans 14 bears that out. It's, it's not outside. You can't just take that idea and pull it out of its context. But in context, the idea that we each are responsible to God is, is important. Romans 14, 5 puts it this way. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one observes the day. The one who observes the day observes it to, in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to, to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. He's just saying this is like there shouldn't be any human being ultimately that's telling you what to believe and how to practice that belief. You should realize that, that that comes directly from God. You have an individual responsibility to God himself. That's both good and bad. It's good. You don't have to necessarily listen to anyone else. It's bad because the person you answer to is God. 
you're going to stand before him one day, and now you can't be like, well, my parents said this, it's their fault, or, you know, my pastor said this, it's his fault. No, you're going to stand before God yourself and answer for what you believed and how you, how you sought to honor God. And we commit ourselves, in that sense, to that, 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 that sense of, hey, that authority of Scripture is, is, is primary and most important. Just really quickly here at the end, they committed also to the power of serving, right? They committed to the power of serving. That sense of, hey, if, if Christ is holy and I'm supposed to love others, then the best way that I can do that is to serve, and that's what Christ taught. He, he got down one evening right before he got killed on the cross, and he washed his disciples' feet. He was committed to serve, to realize the value of service. Romans 15 put it this way, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So we look around and we say, how can I meet a need? Why? Because again, we believe in the power of serving one another. That The power doesn't come when I lord it over people. The power comes when I, when I say, how can I help you out? How can I serve? Just practically, this is where it gets challenging, okay? As a pastor, I watch this happen in both my life and in other people's lives. They say, okay, I'm going to serve. Maybe they get into nursery or whatever, and, and they start to serve. And they do one of two things, right? They, they get to, into serving, and they're like, ooh, this is hard. It's, I, I've got to change. I've got to flex. I've got to work with people that are different from me. And th- then they pull back, and they're like, well, I don't like that. I'm going to stop. The problem was, is actually the power of serving is not just in, in your ability to come under and help people. Actually, God uses, when you step in and start to serve other people, God uses that to change you. God uses that to, to, to mold you and bless you and actually grow you in your faith and your knowledge of how God works in your life. And, and sometimes we think, well, I'm going to serve, I'm going to bless other people, and actually the blessing is to us, not just to them, even though... I love serving in the nursery. In fact, be there and not up here, I'd be just fine with that, right? Why? Because serving is so important. The other kind of ditch we fall into is we think, well, I'm God's gift to mankind in serving. You know what I mean? (laughs) Look at me. I'm so great. I'm serving in the youth group. They're, They're so blessed to have me in the youth group. I'm so wonderful. This, this youth group wouldn't be the same without me. And there's a, there's a line of truth in that. It wouldn't be the same without you there, okay? It's, it's good to serve because you bring an impact, whoever you are, okay? But there's also the point of it's God at work. You're, you're just freeing up God to work. When you don't take power and, and say, I'm going to lord it over, I'm going to make something happen, and instead you come in and say, I'm just going to seek to meet needs and see what God does with that. It's God that really does the work in people's hearts and lives. It's not us. And that's why we serve. That's why we serve the way we do. Because we're not so concerned with ourselves. 2 Corinthians 8 puts it this way, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you by his poverty might become rich. We serve. Those are just some of the commitments we have. And that's why, in some senses, we commit to, to the promises of membership. We're saying, I need to do this with a body of believers. Membership isn't commanded in Scripture. It's just that you see the example in Scripture of people making promises to one another and seeking to live out those promises together. And it's also about the, committing to the rest of prayer. You see, again, because if it's, if it's God that does the work, when, when I'm praying, it's not about me doing the work through prayer. You get that, right? Sometimes, again, we kind of stumble over this. Like, okay, I'm supposed to pray, and if I don't pray, then God doesn't work. No, really, it's about resting in prayer. When I pray, then God works, and I don't have to, in a sense. As you go through your life, sometimes it seems like you're on a stage. Like I've got to perform, I've got to do certain things, and people react to me. And that play that the high schoolers did was hilarious. I loved it. There's, uh, my daughter was in it, so of course I'm, I loved it. You know, this is how it works, yeah, right? But, um, but there's a point at which that a couple of the characters are just like, mic drop, right? It's like, end of, anyth- end of anything, let's just, it's, it's going to stop right here. Commitment is about saying, it's not about me. There's something greater at me than me that's at work. And it's not about me saying, look what I did, mic drop, it's over. Commitment is saying, I'm here for as long as Christ wants me here and you need me. And how do you want to go through life? What do you want to commit to? Because what you commit to, you become. What you commit to, you become. If you're committed to your family, you become a family. If, you, if you're committed to Christ, you become a follower of Christ. And it's not about one-offs. Oh, look, look what I did. I, I went to this thing, and I, I, I was part of this retreat, and bam, everything's better. I did what Christ wanted me to do. It's just about saying, Christ, today, I need your grace, and I know you're going to keep your promises. So I'm going to commit that you're holy. I'm going to commit that, that you are at work, and I'm just going to listen to your word and follow you. That's what he's calling us to do. That's what we want to be as a church, committed to his word, listening, looking at saying, Christ is holy, we're not. And how do we love one another? How do we serve one another? How do we commit to making promises to one another? I mean, that's one of the reasons why Jed was reading, having us read the covenant. These are the promises. Can we keep those promises perfectly? No way. I don't keep those promises perfectly, and I'm the pastor, right? It's not about perfect perfect keeping the promises. It's about recognizing what God has called us to do, to commit to together, to love one another, to serve one another, and to point one another to Jesus. Jesus put it this way, right? He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
So what are you committed to? Are you committed to the holiness of Christ? Are you committed to the fellowship of love? Are you committed to the authority of Scripture? Are you committed to the power of serving? Because God is at work in our world. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has sent his son to rescue us from death and hell and to give us the hope of eternal life. So that one day, it won't be about, you know, how's my 401k doing or how, how are my kids doing? or how's this? We're going to be standing in his presence glorifying God and saying, isn't it amazing what God did? That day is coming. That day is sooner coming than you think it is. And one day when you're there, you're going to get a chance to glorify the one who has worked in your life, the one who has rescued you from sin and death. So will you commit to loving him, to serving him, to lifting his name up? Because he is at work. And he is not done yet. Heavenly Father, commitment is a hard subject because we tend to dance between not committing and committing too much. We struggle with the extremes. It's easy to hold back and say, well, I'm not needed here or I'm not sure about this. And it's also easy to just plunge in and be like, I'm the answer. I can solve this. I'm good. And you've called us to commit to just walking with you, trusting you, listening to you, loving you and those you have made around us. Lord, help us to keep that balanced commitment of doing what you ask us to do but not trusting in ourselves but trusting in the one who died for us and rose again and listening to his voice we pray these things in your son's name amen